Welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast, episode 11. Yes, we're now firmly into the double digits of episode. I know, right? We didn't just do a top 10 episodes and end it. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're going to do another review. Yes. And we're going to get back to the game that we planned on reviewing last week before Earth arrived. Yes, before it was overtaken by, by Earth. Yes. With that, let's just dive right in. Yeah. This week, we're going to be reviewing a classic, one that has, you know, been on the, near the top of the charts for a long time and has spawned a whole series of games. And it's a game that we both enjoy very much. Yeah. From that a designer is, that was very well represented in the, the top, the top 10. 10, particularly on mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that game is Raiders of the North Sea. Raiders of the North Sea by Garfield Games, yes, designed by Sham Phillips with artwork by the Miko, and it plays two to four players, sixty to eighty minutes, mm-hmm. and a BGG complexity rating of two point five five out of five. Although I would say that with the expansions thrown in, which we will talk about, I would I would bump it up a bit higher, closer than that. to three, maybe. Yeah, maybe about a 3 or like a 2.9. In Raiders of the North Sea, this is, um, much like we discussed with Wayfarers and the South Tigrets a few weeks back, this is one of the something of the directional something that Garfield Games produces, these medieval trilogies, as they call them. The trilogies of the compass. Yes. Um, And this one is the most famous one of their North Sea trilogy that is set in the ninth century in Northern Europe, like Scandinavia area. And it's all about Vikings. Yes. As the name of this game kind of suggests, there's a reason why we decided to do this episode today. In addition to just our overall affection for this series. Certainly. Um, Yeah. So we had just in the last week, an announcement from Shem Phillips and the Garfield games crew about some uh, upcoming, unveilings that they have going on some of them are directly pertinent to the north sea trilogy that we're introducing to you here today yeah i think might be maybe let's focus on those a little bit more even though i don't know about you but i haven't played any of those games and then we can just briefly touch on the things they discussed all of which seem very interesting so right because we're the one we're reviewing is Raiders. So Raiders of the North Sea was the second uh-huh. in the North Sea trilogy. And the other two games are Shipwrights and Explorers. Right. And what um, Garfield announced this week is that, and I think we discussed this in the top 10 episode, the Briefly. North Sea tri- trilogy overall was the first one that they did. And it wasn't as uniformly beloved as the west kingdom trilogy was and there seemed to be you know raiders was like the breakout hit and the other two games they maybe didn't get as much yeah yeah or like were you know early attempts at game design from this team so i think explorers was also like relatively well received and got an expansion but what garfield unveiled this week is they're finally going to give it the big box treatment that yes. Raiders got and that all the West Kingdom games got and that now all their future releases will have up by front, default like right. Wayfarers yeah um, 
And then for Shipwrights, that one has been out of print, as I understand it, for a while now. And what they've decided to do is they have done um, pretty much kind of a complete redesign of that game. So they're going to launch a Kickstarter later in 2023 for Shipwrights of the North Sea Redux. And it is not exactly the same game as the original. They've really gone back... And the way they put it is they want it to fit better with the other Garfield games in this series in mm-hmm. terms of its complexity, the quality, and just like the mechanics. Yeah. So for anyone who maybe is a longtime fan of those games, um, could be a good time to upgrade. Or if you've been, you know, like, like me personally, um, I haven't really been interested in them. But now that I see that they're going back and trying to like, you know, pull them up to the level of the West Kingdom yeah. and what the South Tigris trilogy has been so far. That's that's exciting. Well, and just judging from the the artwork that they released on Insta mm-hmm. this past week, looks like the Miko is still on it. Still on yes. it. Yes, and they one? both got new box designs to go Ooh. with the big box, which is in keeping with what they did for the other games. Very nice. Very and nice. Um, for the new for the Shipwrights Redux, even some of the artwork in the game itself is going to be brand new. So that's exciting. Yeah, it's not going to be the same artwork that um, was in the original and that carried through the other North Sea games. Yeah. So, I mean, Garfield just just keeps upping the ante. Speaking of their new games. Yeah. You want to just briefly touch on the other things they announced in the live stream this week? Well, um, I did not catch all of it. I know there were some rumblings about scholars, if I'm remembering right. Is that correct? Um, and it, well, inventors of the South Tigris. I think maybe they gave an update on like the production. The production for scholars. For scholars, scholars yeah. But they... They didn't really show anything new about Inventors of the South Tigris, which will be the third and final game, yeah. um, which won't go on Kickstarter until next year sometime. Right. The box art was already out there. They didn't show any new artwork or any new components. Okay. I think the only thing that really stuck with me is they said that um, they had tried out a whole bunch of different designs for this game and none of the original concepts stuck and what they ended up with was completely different but that it is actually going to be they think the heaviest of all their games inventors will yes which to me seems interesting because wayfarers was a big step up from previous from most of the others and then yeah. From my understanding, Scholars is going to be a little bit of a step up from that. And then if this is going to be a step up again, I'm curious to see what that looks like. And I hope that maybe they're not going to get a little bit too niche with these. Is this is this some form of like tabletop uh, micro dosing or something? Uh, just like <laughs> constantly leveling up. Yeah. Um, but I think they got like a, a question in the live stream about that because they were then asked is the East trilogy that they're going to do next going to be even heavier? And they said that is not their intention. Okay. Like they never, but they said it in kind of like a non-committal way in that they never go into designing a game sure. expecting to like make it more complex. It just kind of happens. Cause I guess, I guess from the perspective of a game designer, once you've designed a few games, you can like try to tie in multiple, yeah. um, mechanics from different designs into one right and you know i could see that being very exciting but again i hope that it doesn't get to a point where there's too much going on or where they shrink 
um, the audience too much. Yeah. Well, and I can see why it does tend to creep in that way. Just when mm-hmm. you factor in the fact that, you know, you don't want to make all, all their games are fairly different in terms of the mechanics and the gameplay. And like, I presumably it gets harder to do that without adding complexity. Yeah. And I guess there are only so point. many different things you can do yes. before you start like, you know, wading back into familiar territory. So I guess what they're probably at, they're at a point now in their, you know, careers where I guess what they're trying to do is not really reinvent the wheel so much as like reconfigure the wheel and how different pieces interact. Yeah. And that, that's a good way of that kind of ties into the final thing they announced on that live stream was a new game in their ancient anthology series. Yes. That is called Ezra and Nehemiah, I believe. And yeah, it is going to be and Nehemiah. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be set. I mean, again, ancient anthology. So it's going to be set historically around the time when the Persians allowed the Israelites to return to um, Jerusalem and to rebuild, rebuild it. The so city, the whole yeah. theme is going to be like rebuilding the city. And I love that theme of rebuilding a city. Yes. And there's also going to be like building. some like reading of the Torah and stuff like that. Okay. And the That's way that cool. they described it on the stream is that it's going to be like, if <laughs> I think they described it as if you gave it to someone who'd played a bunch of games who like knew board games very well and didn't tell them who designed it, they could probably guess who the designers were <laughs> because there's so many familiar mechanics and I think some that they listed were like the tucking of cards behind other cards to upgrade things, yeah. which we saw in Architects and Wayfarers. And then like, you know, the different workers that do different things. Yeah. So um, that sounds exciting. Again, I guess like reconfiguring the wheel on how those things interact with each other. I just, I hope it's fresh enough. Um, yeah. And I haven't, I haven't really like, bought into any of those ancient anthology games. Um, we can talk I about one of those either. later on. Um, but the others have been more like solo focused, but this could be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it it, it is striking to me just how much they play with timelines in their like, I mean, I menu of games. I mean, yeah. you've got ancient history, you've got medieval times and then you've got you know what we're going to to the future yeah yeah i mean my history loving brain loves it i mean how many board games uh you know i mean like a lot of board games have a history theme with like you know medieval combat like trading in the mediterranean stuff like that but how many are like biblical or yeah scythia or hadrian's wall yeah those kinds of things it's very cool or like in the south tigris you know like medieval arab society they yeah. know how to pick their spots very cool on that note we should probably talk about raiders of the north sea we should yes we should the one that i mean it wasn't their first game again but like it really kind of was the one that started it all in terms of their prominence in the industry well and it was in fairness the first of their games that i played did you play said i played you circadian, circadian first, like, first, but, first but this was right. the first um medieval game of theirs i played right yes and i think um it is it is probably the best starting point like if someone I would asked agree me with which that. one they should buy first or play first i would absolutely say this game i would agree with that yes so we already kind of discussed the theme of this game um yeah in terms of the gameplay do you want to handle the base game and i can do the expansions sure, sure. yeah so 
I mean, the basic rundown of what you're trying to do, I mean, we mentioned that it's Viking-themed, and in keeping with that theme, you're basically provisioning and sending out warring parties, raiding parties to pillage different strongholds and different, like, places to grab loot from. Yeah. Across across the sea and bringing it back. Impress the chieftain. Exactly. Exactly. And so you are juggling a couple different components here on your turns. It's a worker placement game. And one of the things that's really ingenious to me about Garfield Games worker placement games is you'll often have different colored workers that can only go to certain spots on the board yes based on which color they are and so basically what you're doing in this game is you've got a couple workers you're using those to acquire cards those cards are going to have different abilities and they're the different viking warriors that are going to be in your raiding party um you'll start small with one or two for some of your early forays across the sea and then slowly build up to have a full party of five and you know you'll get stronger cards as you go along as well Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the the nuts and bolts of the the crew oceans 11 style that you're (laughs) assembling shall we call it oceans five um (laughs) but then you're also like getting provisions because you need food to do these raids yeah you're having coins to pay for your crew members you're also collecting iron to upgrade the armor the armor of your raiding party and then paying some of your loot to like give offerings to the chieftain for yes and then for some of the you know so you're kind of working your way in from the coast so the the most the first coastal settlements that you're raiding like the harbors the harbors you're not having to you know they're easy pay as much to, yeah. they're, and they're but they're, like they're only worth one point each. yeah they're not as well defended they're worth lower points but then you've got to build up more supplies and pay more to attack some of the better defended ones the monasteries and then the fortresses which yeah. are the most impregnable ones yes um and for those i think i believe for those you also have to pay gold you pay gold for the monasteries and the fortresses you don't for the harbors and the outposts right i don't think it's necessary to get into like all the different spots in the oh village for sure they do because they're Ag- very self-explanatory but agreed as you said it breaks down into like you're just gathering the resources to hire your crew, decide who you want on your crew, and give them the strength to raid. Yeah. yeah. And then, you, you know, you're getting points based on the loot that you gather from these raids. But then another factor here is, you know, depending on how much strength you bring to bear in a conflict, if you win a conflict at a stronghold for instance just by the skinnier teeth you're not going to get as many points from it as if you like dominate it dominate it handedly so that you know does play a factor in terms of pacing sometimes we can get into gameplay tips later but yeah yeah that just gives a sense of scoring you're the only other thing from the base game that is definitely i think worth mentioning is the valkyrie oh yeah um 
and I, I think those are one of my favorite scoring um, mechanics. Yeah. Basically, what it is is there's a tracker that's the Valkyrie tracker where on certain raids, if there's a black skull that you've drawn randomly out of the bag that's on that raid spot, you have to kill off a member of your crew. Right. And if you play that right, like every t- every time you kill off one, you move up on the tracker and you get more and more points. Yeah. And very thematic in that, like you're you know kind of plays into like viking religion and mythology yeah and it's like um, a secondary like score tracker that's increasing your point yeah potential if you right. play it badly it can be really frustrating and that like you're losing crew members which undermines your ability to raid in the future but if you play it well you and once you like have played a few times and you know which um crew are available in the game you know that some of them are right. more useful early games so you yeah. can hire them and then, and then kill them, them off out. and then replace them with ones that will be more helpful to the end yes so like there's some yes. that help you get resources that you want in the beginning kill that off and then replace it with one that has no ability but a but lot of give strength you like, or even some that just give you additional end game scoring yeah for sure which you don't need until the last few turns the other thing is there are certain rating party members that might specialize in a particular type of settlement yes. raids so like some of them get bonuses if they're attacking a monastery or an outpost woman is the monastery one i know her well yeah. yeah so like if all the monasteries are gone there's no like you could still use her for her base strength but you don't get the added benefit so it might be better to replace her for the one that you know gives you a discount of paying a gold every time you go to a fortress something like that yeah especially if you're gonna get bonus points from the valkyrie tracker anyway yeah um so the expansions yeah there are two expansions to this game and i think they're both excellent so the first one that came out was the hall of heroes and um it added in some additional townsfolk which they both do and um it's like a you know cosmetic thing it gave you each, each person like an individual player board which is very helpful for just like organizing your crew and your resources and your right. pile of offerings and just keeping track of like reference or what your hand limit is and your resource limit that kind yes. of stuff but the big thing it did was it introduced this little sideboard called um that adds the mead hall to right. viking village and the mead hall is a really cool place to go to because you can choose to do one of two things the first one is that it creates a marketplace of crew members who are at the mead hall and you can choose to um instead of like recruiting cards into your hand the normal way by drawing from the deck you can go to the mead hall and choose one of those that you want if you want one of them and you get them to your hand and then in addition you get resources that are attributed to that card they will be marked on the board above it and those will be a coin plus some mead yeah um and mead is a new resource you can get your dry your vikings a little bit drunk on mead to lower their inhibitions about going into raid a little liquid courage yeah so you can throw away a mead in a raid to add an additional strength per mead so it can help you like get over the finish line to meet the requirements of the raid um and then the other thing that the mead hall does is it introduces questing which is a really cool scoring mechanic in this game where once a, a location has been raided the raid resource will be taken by whoever um rated it and that will be replaced by a questing tile and the questing tiles will have a number on it and that's the value of the viking the cards from your hand that you'll have to throw out to get that questing tile yeah and the more and more questing tiles you get the more and more points you get and that's marked on your player board 
And then if you have three of a kind, so there's like one that has like a sword on it, one that has a map, and one that has like coins. If you have three of a kind, then the next time you quest, you can get for free like a special um, questing tile. Right. That will be like very helpful. So I personally, I love the questing and I love, yeah. I think it's one of the best ways to get points and it kind of opens up the game in the in the base game alone rating 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 is the ultimate way to win with the expansions um you can, there are more like pathways to getting points and this is one of those it's really good right because then you can win even if you don't have you don't the have the absolute strongest yeah. rating party the other thing i think that's ingenious about that particular system is it gives you a way to score points from cards in your hand that you're not going to do anything with otherwise. Yes, and that is that is helpful as well, given that you do have a hand limit. Yeah. Um, so it helps keep things fresh. And then the second expansion is called The Fields of Fame. And this, once again, introduces a little sideboard. And this introduces the townships that are new rating locations you can go to. Yep. And they function pretty much the same as... They're most similar to the outposts in the base game in terms of the raid strength you need. Yeah, so they're middle of the road. Yes, but they're special in that if you raid and you meet the requirements, but you exceed it by a certain amount, you're given a bonus reward in the form of fame. And so on this sideboard that this expansion introduces, there's a fame tracker, and fame is a new way to score points. And again, the higher up you go on that tracker, the more and more points you get. Yes. Just like the armor track, the Valkyrie track, they each are a way to get points. Yes. The only difference being the armor track gives you added strength like, as well. added strength yeah. in raids, whereas the other two, it's mostly just for endgame scoring. Yeah. I mean, the armor track does also give you some points, though. Right. But yeah, the primary reason you want it is for strength. But anyway, it's back to the fame. Yes. The other way to main way to get fame is that the other really cool thing that the Fields of Fame expansion adds is the rival clan in the form of the Jarls. Yes. And so there are new little blue wooden shields that you put in the bag when you're pulling the resources out when you set up the game. And that means that now, in addition to getting the resources you pull out when you raid a spot, if it has a blue shield or more than one on it, for each blue shield on it, you will have to encounter a Jarl. And the Jarls are these awesome-looking, scary Vikings. You pull a card from the Jarl deck, and yeah. you have three options. You can kill it, which you will get fame for killing it. I believe two fame for killing it. You can choose to hire it onto your crew, in which case you would have to pay the cost, and then you'd have it on your crew, and the Jarls will usually have like really special cool abilities on them. Yeah. Or but you have to be able to afford to hire it. Right. If you do not want to or cannot do either of those things, the third option is you can flee from it, in which case um you, you just down. you have to choose to lose a fame or a right. victory point. Yeah. Um it's not a big deal, but it's kinda of like a wasted opportunity. For sure. Big opportunity and cost. The other cool thing about the Jarls, um can be frustrating, but it is cool in terms of how it interacts with the Valkyrie, is that when you choose to kill a Jarl or recruit it onto your crew, you're going to have to take wounds from fighting that Jarl. So the wounds are these little, like, blood drops, to, like wooden tokens that you put on your crew. And for each wound that you take, you minus a strength from that member of your crew. Yeah, so they lose a hit point. Yeah, so if, like, you know, you had one that had four strength, 
um, and it has two wounds on it. Now it only has two strength. So what you can like try to do strategically is like load one up with wounds that you're planning to kill off, right? And then get rid of it, right? But I mean, the other rub here is that those wounds are like impairing the combat effectiveness exactly of those raid members for future encounters yeah so like you want to be strategic like put it on ones that you want to kill off the next time you have a chance with the valkyrie or even what you can do as well is like if you have five crew members on your crew and you want to hire another one you can just get rid of one and replace it without having to kill it off i mean it won't give you valkyrie points but still it's helpful um so that's basically how to play and the game just goes on until one of three things happens the first one and in my experience this is the only one that ever triggers the end game is when there's only one fortress left to raid so yeah. when there's only one of the six left then that triggers the final round everyone gets one more turn yeah um the second way is if all the offering tiles are gone when you go to pay tribute to the chief you pay the cost get the offering tile i've never seen that happen and the third one i believe is when all the valkyries are gone all the little black skulls yeah again haven't seen that happen because um, usually there will be a couple of raids that just got skipped over partly because they have Valkyrie on them and nobody exactly. comes back to yeah. them. You want to start off with uh, tips and strategies? Yeah. I mean, we've gotten into some of this already. We did. <laughs> but I think one thing to keep in mind is, I alluded to this earlier, but because your victory points for winning raids especially on the fortresses is determined not just by whether or not you have enough strength, but by how much, by how much of a margin you win. Um, You do want to pick and choose your conflicts judiciously one. But one thing that's helpful here is if you're a couple strengths short of where you want to be, I mean, you're going to be upgrading your armor as you go along to help with this, but you also do have the mead option, which is a little bit like a little steroid or a little adrenaline to like push you over the top if your margins aren't as wide as you are comfortable with. Yes. Because the other, you know, thing you're balancing that is you do want to be prepared, but you wait too long somebody else is going to get to that raid spot before you do agreed um for my tip i'm going to keep it very simple and i've kind of alluded to it as well and this really just applies or if you're playing with both the expansions or even just one of them i guess is be open to the ways to get points that are not raiding yeah because my favorite way to play this game is um getting a lot of points from questing you love and the, the valkyrie, valkyrie and the Valkyrie too. Yeah, i love i love because i also like the yarl so i love just like loading up my crew members with wounds and then offing them and then yeah. usually that means the trade-off for that is that like i will probably do maybe only one or two fortresses even in a two-player game right but usually it evens out yeah. um because like the people who are raiding the fortresses aggressively are kind of setting the pace for when the game ends. And so they might think that they're really ahead, 
but you know they're going to get a ton of points from raiding but then when you add up all the other bits and pieces you can kind of creep up from behind and yeah, it's kind a of bit more of rewarding because it like required paying attention to a few different things and especially if you're the only player or one of the few players in the game that is availing yourselves of those other point opportunities like i feel like this strategy you're talking about works exceedingly well in games where player other players are focused primarily on rating right cool so best thing about this game I think the best thing for me about this game is, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder, but like, I really like the wounds and the Valkyrie tracker, mm-hmm. just because I think thematically, like you said, they work so well with the, you know, North Norse mythology and the whole ethos of being a Viking when warrior. We, when we talked about Wayfarers, I think I kind of knocked that it wasn't super thematic. I think of all the ones that I've played of their games, this is the most thematic. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and the other thing I really like about this game is just the the fun powers that you get from the different raid members. Like, it's not rocket science. There's not, like, a ton of, like, four-dimensional chess with that, but it is just satisfying to see which crew members pair well together at different stages of the game. Right. For me, I think, so my strategy was something that I love about this game, you know, the flexibility of how you score points. The other thing I'll I'll use this opportunity to point out is the look of this game. I think of all the Garfield games, the crew members from the North Sea are the most impressive. They're way cooler than the townsfolk in the West Kingdom and the South Tigris. Miko really outdid himself. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Viking nature of it kind of lends itself to that well. As opposed to, you know, peasants and shepherds yeah. and stuff. Um, and they also play a more prominent role in the game itself. They do. So it makes sense. Um, and then, yeah, just like the board is really nice. The components are really nice. I love that the collector's box that I have came with like custom sleeves for it. Yeah. Um, the metal coins, as usual. I think it's just like a really fun, high quality game. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely is. On that on that note, what's the thing you like least about this game? The thing I like least about this game. You know, I might have to ponder that for a second. Do you have anything in mind? Do you want to go for it? It's a really it? small one. Go for it. The only thing that I can really think of is as much as I love the flexibility of scoring points and all the different things you can do, I think that when it comes to the actual crew members in the deck, very clearly there are some that are better than others and there are Mm. some in that deck that no matter how many times i play this game i've easily played this game probably like close to two dozen times or something i never want them i mean that's really all i have what about you have you thought of something my initial quibble with the game before playing with the expansions was mostly just that it's so much about the raid but i mean the expansions really addressed that one Mm -hmm. the the only other thing beyond that i would say is that there's hmm i think sometimes 
I mean, it's kind of the inverse of what you said. Like that, you said there, you, you, there are some cards you just never want to play. Mm-hmm. I think by the same token, if you like, if you manage to load up on Jarls and like have a good hero, it's like, I think sometimes you can get a little overpowered. Yes. Well, but then that's where the Valkyrie and the wounds can hurt you. Yeah. So if you want to hang on to that crew as it is, your perfect little crew, you might be avoiding raids. Although, I mean, sure, but I I forget which card it is. There's one card that I feel like often is kind of like an escape valve for that type of situation is the Berserker. because The favorite, everyone's favorite. Yeah, because he dies and goes right back to your hand. You have to put him in play again, but like... And he's wearing a wolf skin. Yeah, Let's you can get that. Yeah, <laughs> looks great, and you know, basically, is immortal. Is immortal, and if you have the money to rehire him, right? Yeah. If you you do have to rehire him, and there's an opportunity cost there, but uh, coincidentally, do you do you still get Valkyrie points when he yeah. dies? Yeah, because the Valkyrie skull. Anytime there's a Valkyrie skull, yeah. you get, you move up the Valkyrie track. So, yeah, I think that's the only thing. But, like, that's not going to come into play every time. The stars do have to align a little bit for somebody to achieve that. Yeah. Which happens with basically any game. Yeah. Sometimes you just get very lucky. Um, Cool. What is a game that you'd recommend for fans of Raiders of the North Sea? You're looking at my shelf, and I just want to say, don't you dare steal mine. I think you might. (laughs) Do you want to answer? First? I have a I have a backup. What I was gonna say is Dune Imperium. Oh, okay. just because <laughs> it's they're fairly different games. Uh huh. But I mean, they are worker placement, and it, so I guess the reason I'm bringing that one up in particular is because if you like, if you play this game and you enjoy it, but you would like a game that like embraces that expansion idea of like having many ways to score points beyond straight combat right i think that's a great example of that and then the other thing i wanted to say on that is if you want a game that adds that bumps up the deck management a little bit where you don't just have like five open slots that you're moving cards in and out of but that you right are building a deck and you know trying to call bad cards and like add good cards to it and balance that with everything else i wouldn't recommend if you haven't played either game going straight to do an imperium necessarily but they they play with some similar mechanics and i think dune builds on some of the things i like most about raiders in ways that are interesting and engaging cool well seeing as you didn't take it Mine is going to be Dwellings of Eldrail. Okay. Yes. And the reason I say that is I think that Dwellings of Eldrail has that... You have a similar relationship. Without it being another Garfield game, you have a similar relationship to the workers. Yeah. In terms of, like, placing them on spots to get resources and that kind of, like, place one, get one back kind of dynamic. Even though in Dwellings of Eldrail, it's more across rounds. And then the way that the workers interact with um, when you like convert them into a dwelling yeah. to get points, that like kind of is like the Valkyrie track in a way. I mean, I it's a more permanent commitment, but yeah, yeah, I think 
See, that's interesting because those aren't the similarities that I was expecting you to bring up. Hmm. Okay. What were you expecting? Well, the other parallel that came to mind for me is that in Raiders where you have that tension of who's going to get to the fortress first. Yes. You have a similar dynamic in dwellings where who's going to place a dwelling on a spot first. Yes. And also with the end game, who's going to place their final dwelling or unveil the final um, territory tile and trigger the end game. Right. Yeah. Um, That's basically all I have on that. So final score. Final score for me is going to be an eight. I'm a big fan of this game. Okay. Wow. Big fan is just an eight. Well, I mean, I think eight's a very, very respectable score. You're a tough love kind of guy. I mean, I think... You did say, though, in our top ten episode that you would never give a ten. So, I guess... I did. I did. Eight is a nine. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, the other other, um, backstory, I guess, to that score is I've got a, in my, like, internal accounting calculus of how I dole out these scores i've got to leave some runway for you know wayfarers and architects and some garfield games that are even closer to my heart than this one okay fair enough um i'm gonna give it a nine wow okay so i love this game i think i give this architects and wayfarers all nines um obviously they're not the same game and I think Wayfarers is my favorite of the three. But this one and Architects, uh, like, I always kind of go back and forth on which one I prefer. And I think yeah. I, I like this one more than you do overall. I think you are more because of your love for Architects specifically. Yeah. And I think, for me, it's more an affinity for Architects right, than Right. For me, it kind of like, it goes back and forth. One. And I think right now, today, this is the one that I prefer. Yeah. Um, I it definitely, very much, it, like, what yeah. it is for me is like, whenever I play one of those two games, depending on how that specific experience went, that determines whether I like it more than the other one. <laughs> so I don't know. It just depends on the day, but I love them all. And yeah, um, again, like this one is definitely, I think the most thematic and I agree with you on that. Yeah. And I mean, we've got the box open in front of us now. And like, I think you also hit the nail on the head just, you know, singing the praises of the, of the artwork on this one, like the, the crew member, yes. like There's the so personality cool. on the cards is really something the Miko really yeah. outdid himself and earned a spot in that hall of heroes for this one, I think. Yeah. And also like this game again, like just going back to the significance that this game has in the Garfield games, like in their history in terms of the Pantheon. This was, yeah. <laughs> this is the one that like, really elevated them as a company and so many of the other games that came after that we love owe a lot to this in terms of like putting them on the map and having them taken as seriously as they are yeah and even though this came out back in like 2015 2015 it's still in the top 100 i think it's at like 97 or 98 but it's still in the top 100 that's respectable it makes and it makes you realize that uh you know, the staying power and life expectancy of a Viking Raider might be higher than you think. Yes. And I think also like this game is so accessible yeah. that it really works to its benefit. Again, I would recommend it as the perfect one of these games to start with. And it also is the one that you can play with more people that you probably know. Yes. And 
you and like you don't feel like you're sacrificing having a full strategic gaming experience playing it it still feels very much like a complex game but it's also just like family fun and accessible to like lots of different types of people which is cool yeah um before we wrap up one last thing that i do want to mention though that we brought up in the top 10 episode about this game yes is raiders of scythia yeah which so we talked about the ancient anthology games that garfield does and so raiders of scythia is a re-implementation of raiders of the north sea which i think maybe they did again because of like how much this was a standout in that trilogy and the other two games weren't so what they did a couple of years ago was they took raiders of the north sea and looked at both of the expansions and kind of came up with a streamlined way of fitting those all into one package that retails at like 55 yeah um and so it's not a one-for-one translation in that some things do not carry over. Like the Valkyrie are gone. The Mead are gone. But there's like a new drink that's like, you know, thematic to that game. Like fermented horse can, milk yes, or something. Yes, that can help you yeah. um, heal wounds. Yeah. Instead of the armor track, you can attach um, eagles and horses to your crew members. Pretty that's cool. how you That's how you add on strength. Um, and the artwork is, is different. It's more like the circadians artwork and it's done by Shem Phillips's brother. And the theme is different in that it's set in, you know, again, like it's part of that ancient series. As opposed the Eurasian to the steps, yeah. basically. And, yeah. Set in Scythia. And so you're not raiding, you know, settlements around the North Sea. You're raiding from Scythia going west through, you know, Persia and um, Sumeria and going all the way to ancient Greece. Right. Um, yeah. So I think overall, as I said in our top 10 episode, I prefer Raiders of the North Sea with both expansions. But base game for base game, Raiders of Scythia, I think, is better bang for your buck in that it costs the same as the base game of Raiders of the North Sea. It has more in it. It's, it's more streamlined. Um, and I think if you just want a standalone experience without, you know, buying a bunch of expansions or getting into the whole medieval trilogy series, it could be a good thing to check out. And it comes in a smaller box as well. So yeah. it could be easier to move around with. No, I'm glad you pl- plugged that because I, I haven't had the chance to play that one I yet. played it once because I actually, I played, my sister came to visit me last spring and we, I played Raiders of the North Sea with her and she loved it. And we played it a whole bunch of times in that one week and so as a graduation gift, I got her Raiders of Scythia because I knew nice. that it didn't make sense like buying her Raiders and both expansions and then like the collector's box to fit it all in. I was like, right. there you go, Raiders of Scythia, smaller box, yeah, good price tag. And I played it with her over Christmas. And as I said, I still prefer this, but it's really nice. Um, yeah. And the components are just as good. I like both artwork styles and... Yeah, it's a it's a good time. Yeah. Cool. So on that note, should we go uh grab some mead and raid a fortress? I think we should. I might build up my armor one or two before we do it, but uh Sounds good. I have some wounds to heal. Okay, cool. I, just, I hope I don't end up going to the uh like the Valkyries take me to Valhalla though. I can yeah. skip out on that for now. Yeah. Well, we'll we will see you next week after a little foray week. into the Hall of Heroes. Bye. Bye. Bye.